0: Do you ever sometimes long for the good old days? You know, or wish you could somehow turn the clock back to some better times. You know, during COVID, uh, we probably all wish that things could be the way they once were. COVID, but, you know, COVID or not, there seems to be some things that we just think were better back then. But you know, sometimes the good old days were more the result of having a poor memory. Uh, we remember them better than they really were. But anyone over 25 can probably find some good old days to look back on. And Sometimes we look back and we think, well, I wish I'd known back then that we were in the good old days. (laughs) But we didn't know it until they were over. Well, in the last six verses here in Acts chapter 2, Luke uh, captures for us a little snapshot of life in the early church. Pictures a kind of picture-perfect honeymoon period. Here, where we see all the best parts of Christian community on display. It's a passage of Scripture that's often been looked at as the good old days of the church. But even at, a time, at the time Luke was writing these very verses, uh, it was already about 40 years after those events occurred. A full generation had already passed. So by the time the book of Acts was written, uh, following Jesus was no longer something that was brand new. Uh, Churches had already been planted, uh, leadership structures had been established, and the book of Acts was written for these already existing churches, so they could look back at that very first church and be reminded of how to move forward. And we too need to look back at the exciting beginnings of the church to see what we can learn and, and what we can be reminded of. So, our goal today isn't to wallow in nostalgia for the good old days of the church or, or to be dissatisfied with what we have today. Our goal is to discover how we can be refreshed, and inspired, and motivated here today in our own situation. So, in a way, it's like uh, looking back on one's honeymoon uh, when love was new and the relationship was fresh and, and passionate and exciting. Not that marriage can't continue to be passionate and exciting, uh, but, you know, the initial sparkle, uh, the intensity of ecstatic fervor, well, it just doesn't last indefinitely. Ten years later, marriage won't quite look the same. Other things crowd in, and as the relationship, if it's healthy, becomes more settled, and it becomes more routine and a little less ecstatic. And, you know, that's not a bad thing. Marriages need to develop through mundane and ordinary things in life. But there are some times when we can lose sight, though, of our first love. And and that's when we need, when some passion needs to be restored. Novelist E.M. Forster wrote an interesting thought. He said, ecstasy doesn't last, but it can cut a groove for something lasting. He's saying here that the initial exhilaration of of marriage or or whatever can carve a channel for a long-term commitment. So what can we learn here, then, about living in passionate Christian community from what we see in these verses? What lasting groove can these words cut for us? Well, earlier on in chapter 2, we read about the day of Pentecost, It was when the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, and Peter preached that first amazing sermon. And it says in verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow. Jesus' ministry was carrying on. The risen and ascended Jesus was continuing here to carry out his ministry, but now it's through his Spirit-filled followers. And on that one amazing day, Jesus actually gained more followers than during his entire public ministry. No wonder he told his disciples in John 14, 12, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will be do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. So Jesus' followers would perform greater works than they had ever even seen Jesus do. As we can see right here in verse 41, 3,000 new Christ followers in one day. Down in verse 47b, it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it was a time of tremendous growth. And in between these two statements about numerical growth here, we see in the middle verses that they're filled with all these superlatives. It says everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and signs were performed. All the believers were together and had everything in common, enjoying the favor of all the people. What an amazing time to be a Christ follower. So we can either look back at these exciting verses and just kind of dream about the good old days, or we can try to learn from these verses about how to move forward. A couple Sundays ago... uh, we said farewell to Tom and Kathy Williams. And uh, Tom got up to wish us well and uh, so on. But he said, he said, the church can move in three directions. It can move sideways and get off track. It can move backwards and lose momentum. Or it can move forward and become what God intends. And I believe that's true. As our church... <coughs> We'll be going through some transitions, uh, change of leadership and so on. We don't want to get sidetracked. We don't want to lose momentum. We want to move ahead and step into some new opportunities. You know, sometimes looking back at what God has done in the past can get us back on track. It can renew our momentum and move us forward according to the pattern that we've been given here in Scripture. Now, those days following Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit really were a a unique uh, honeymoon period in the history of the church. It's not always like that. But that transformative power for them was supplied by the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. And, you know, this should still be seen in the church today, the evidence, the manifestation of God's Holy Spirit in us, moving us forward. So I want us to see three things that are true here about the Acts 2 church that we could apply to ourselves, to our own church. Three things that should be true of us today. And That is, they were grounded, they were united, and they were fruitful. Grounded, united, and fruitful. So first of all, they were grounded. I mean, they they started to put down roots. One day, their group suddenly grew from 120 people to 3,120 people. I mean, just imagine our own congregation here growing 30 times larger overnight. Hard to imagine. But they didn't think of themselves yet as the church uh, or even as Christians. Those, Those terms don't even appear until later on in the book of Acts. These people were just God-fearing Jews who had been changed by Jesus. They'd come to understand that that crucified, risen Jesus was indeed the long-promised Messiah, and that they had just experienced something very powerful and life-changing. Their hearts had been changed. Now they want to learn all they can about this Jesus and what it means to believe in him. In other words, they wanted to get grounded, Grounded in their relationship with Jesus Christ. So it tells us there that they devoted themselves. It means they very seriously and earnestly continued to commit themselves to several foundational things. First of all, in verse 42a, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They didn't try to rely just on their own understanding here. Of course, at that point, they didn't have a New Testament. It hadn't been written yet, and so instead, they listened. They listened to the apostles. And the apostles instructed them in the sayings and the teachings of Jesus. Also taught them the Old Testament scriptures that also pointed to Christ. They said, this is that. It was all prophesied long before. So for us today, little different. We have the New Testament scriptures. They are the deposit of the apostles' teaching. We have it right in our hands. And that's why we can turn to a book like the book of Acts here and discover more of the truth about Jesus. And as Christians, we believe that these words are true, and that they're the only guaranteed source of truth that we have. I mean, there are other places we can find truth about this and that, but especially in our post-truth culture, where we often can't tell what to believe, uh, the Bible is the only place we can be sure of finding truth. The Apostle Peter refers to it as milk. when He refers to the Word of God. He's, that's why he says in 1 Peter 2, in verse 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, the milk of the Word, so that you may, by it, you may grow up in your salvation. He's talking about God's Word here. So, just like those early followers of Jesus, we need to dedicate ourselves, we need to devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles that's available to us in our Bibles. We can't grow, actually, until we are grounded. Without Christ being grounded in Christ, it just doesn't happen. That isn't all they did to get grounded in their relationship with Christ. It says in verse 42 they also devoted themselves to prayer and in verse 47 to praising God. So these new believers found three foundational ways to relate to God and they devoted themselves to them. They listened to the apostles' teaching, they praised God in worship, and they prayed. And that's because Through the teaching of Scripture, God speaks to us. In worship, we speak to God. And in prayer, we have a conversation. That needs to happen. It's pouring our hearts out to God, listening for his guidance. This is how we get grounded in Christ. So are you grounded? Are you getting grounded? Are you devoted to Scripture, to prayer, to worship? These are the building blocks of our spiritual life. And, well, you can do them pretty well anywhere at any time. You know, without so much to do in our busy lives, it's pretty easy to forget that these things are foundational to our ongoing relationship with Jesus. So being grounded in Christ through Scripture, prayer, And worship was a a real basis for that passionate Christianity that they experienced back then. And that's a pattern for us, too. Secondly, (coughs) these early Jesus followers were united. It also says in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to fellowship. This is a really powerful word in the New Testament here. It's the Greek word koinonia. Some of you are familiar with it. Our English word fellowship Maybe the closest translation we have, but fellowship doesn't really capture the full meaning of koinonia. It's not just enjoying being together and having a sentimental feeling of of oneness. That's great, but what it really means is sharing and being connected with others at a deep and even radical level of relationship. This kind of fellowship didn't even really exist before Pentecost, not until the Spirit came to dwell within those believers. Brought a whole new kind of bond of unity. So the word koinonia is not even found in the four gospels. And here in Acts, for the first time, it appears in the New Testament. And every time it's used afterward, it denotes a very deep kind of sharing among people that, well, doesn't happen unless we are reaching out to others, giving something of ourselves. Luke describes it here in their activities breaking bread in their homes, giving to anyone who had need, having everything in common. That word common is, is koinos. It's where koinonia comes from. It means common. And that they had everything in common doesn't mean they formed a commune, like back in the 60s or something. You know, they They, they had no, you know, having no personal belongings or possessions or private property. You know, it wasn't quite like that. But it does mean that they held their possessions in an open hand. They could sell some of their belongings to provide for those who had needs around them. They helped each other with all their needs. It was just a very beautiful thing. This was real koinonia, a united sharing of life together, like family. It was a new attitude of sharing that wasn't, wasn't even commanded by the apostles, it was just completely voluntary and inspired by that spirit of oneness. No doubt, some of the inspiration for it also came from when the 12 apostles traveled with with Jesus during his ministry. They had a common purse, yeah, and they, they behaved like a family. They were a pretty different bunch of guys. But how do you continue doing that when suddenly you have several thousand people almost overnight? This picture is even more amazing when we remember that these people from, were from very different places. Back in verse 5, it tells us that they were from every nation under heaven. They all happened to share some Jewish heritage. But they spoke different languages. They had lots of different cult, cultural differences. And so this was an incredibly diverse group here, but they found deep relational connection with each other. They were united in Christ. They met regularly, they shared generously, they opened their homes, they became family. So they were connected and united in healthy relationships. How about us? I think there's some really good ones going on. There's been some good things here. Are we experiencing some real koinonia? Are we meeting and greeting? Are we caring and sharing? Are we learning and growing and giving and receiving according to the pattern? Or do we need to be better connected and more united? Well, we can always do better. You know, getting established in a church community is not always that easy. If you're a a newcomer, uh, you may feel initially welcomed, But after a while, you may start to feel that there's kind of an inner circle here that you're not part of. Well, it it just happens. It's not intentional. But it may feel that way sometimes for some. But the best solution for that is just Give it some time. And also, during that time, make time for getting together with others. Join a small group. Get involved during the week. Get to know people. And so that's what we see in Acts here. We see the believers spending a lot of time together. It says in verse 46a, every day they continue to meet together. I don't know that we can do that. We're pretty busy people. But still, there's no substitute for spending time together in order to get connected. But we all know, too, that spending time with people doesn't always mean things go well. It doesn't always go smoothly. Sometimes we rub each other the wrong way. Uh, We disagree. We don't always pay attention or listen to each other as we should. Sometimes we hurt each other, say stupid things. Well, part of being a family. As we see farther along in Acts, this wonderful Acts 2 church faces some of these very same things. We read about divisions, personality conflicts, hurt feelings, and it's difficult, but it's an inevitable part of what it means to be a family. All that messiness of family is not something for us to avoid or to run away from or just get past. No, the messiness of life and community is part of why God puts us together. It has a purpose. The sparks that that sometimes fly can be a part of the sharpening and maturing process in our lives. If I never spend close time with others, I can start to think I'm a pretty great all-around person. (laughs) When I relate closely to other people, I realize, oh boy, I can be pretty selfish sometimes. I can be thoughtless. I can be insensitive. And that's humbling. That's a good thing. That's how we learn and grow. How we become more like Christ. So being united in Christ and connected through healthy relationships and community doesn't mean it's always going to be great all the time. There will be some struggles, But it does mean that God will be at work among us. It does mean we'll be growing and becoming more like Jesus if we hang in there. So this group of early Christ followers in Acts chapter 2 were grounded in the relationship with Jesus through teaching, prayer, and worship, and they were united and connected by healthy relationships with one another in community, and that was vital, absolutely vital to the third ingredient. Thirdly, they were fruitful, you know, like a tree that's uh, that's well-grounded in good, good soil and its branches are Leaves are healthy. Good fruit will naturally come from it. It's inevitable. So what kind of fruit was the Acts 2 church producing? Well, it says not only did they eat together with glad and sincere hearts, but they enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Something was going on here. The world around them noticed them. They saw their joyful fellowship. And more and more people started joining in. They wanted what they saw. And they were not only fruitful in their relationships inside the church but outside of the community as well. And they weren't so preoccupied with just the learning and sharing and, and worshiping that they forgot about being witnesses to the risen Christ. And so they let their lives be their lives together, just be a beautiful witness to the love of. So when a community of believers is well-grounded, healthily united, they will bear fruit. It's inevitable. People will be drawn to Christ when that happens. But we also have to remember that fruit is something that's seasonal. We don't have fruit all year, right, on trees? Fruit is seasonal. And if we think that these verses describe the fruit that we will see in every season, then we'll be disappointed. You get different fruit, different seasons. It wasn't like these early believers had found some kind of perfect recipe here that if we could just follow it, we would see fruit like they did all the time. No, this was God at work. God is the God, is the one who brings forth the fruit. So God was doing something really unique at that specific time and place. It was sort of the kickoff here of of the church. But we have to realize that it's not up to us to make fruit happen. That's God's business. He brings the fruit. Time and the place that these verses are describing was a time when it says everyone was filled with awe and enjoying the favor of all the people. It was the honeymoon. It's not always like that. And we see that very soon for the church in Acts, too, things would change, it would be a different season. They're going to face disputes, debates, and disappointments, and confusion. Soon they'd face opposition and arrests and persecution. Sometimes we can be doing all the right things and not see much fruit. But it doesn't mean that we need to try harder for the fruit. We just need to stay grounded in the Word and in prayer and united in healthy fellowship. And that way we're in position for God to bring the fruit where and where when and how he wants to do it. So as good as those good old days were, they didn't last. It wasn't like that always. They didn't, But those days did carve a channel for something that was lasting. So you and I can learn from those first followers of Jesus here in the, the book of Acts. We can learn something about being grounded in our relationship to Christ. We can learn something about being united and connected through healthy relationships with others. And we can look around us and see what kind of fruit God is bearing amongst us and through us. See who's being reached for Christ by what's happening amongst us. So we need to remember that after the honeymoon comes the marriage. The marriage is never perfect. You know, but it does prepare us. This kind of thing prepares us for God's ultimate for the church, to be his emissaries, to make disciples of all nations, which is what we see happening throughout the remaining chapters of Acts. They were fruitful. But looking back to Acts chapter 2, that church there can teach us how to look forward. So let's be grounded in our relationship with Christ, devoting ourselves to scripture, prayer, and worship And let's also be united in healthy relationships, healthy community, spending time together, being generous with our resources. And let's pray that God will make us fruitful in his time and according to his purpose. In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, Jesus prayed a a really neat prayer. He prayed for us about these very things. And the night before he gave his life for us, he prayed for us, verse 21 of John 17, saying, first of all, that all of them, that's us, may be one, Father. He means here that we should be united in fellowship. Then he says, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. He means being grounded in Jesus Christ, being in Christ he says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, which means being fruitful. That was Jesus' prayer for us, his followers. Usually, you and I pray that Jesus will answer our prayers. But maybe this time, you and I could be the answer to his prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your church. You established, once and for all, a church that has stood ever since those first days in Acts. Though we go through ups and downs and trials and struggles, Lord, you you never leave us. You're always there to encourage us. You've given us your word and your spirit. You've given us the fellowship of the church. So many resources, Lord, to help us to grow more like you, to shine in this world. Help us to do that, Lord. We know that you can do some amazing things, and I pray that you will in the future of this church. In Jesus' name.